You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Good morning, Gospel City Church. It is good to be back home in the great state of Indiana. I was born and for the better part of my life raised just down the street in South Bend. And I say the better part of my life because it was in South Bend that I met my Savior, Jesus Christ. It's always going to be a good place and always called home. I have the privilege of being here with my wife and and four kids, uh, six, four, three, and one. So y'all pray for me this morning. Y'all pray. Please just... Listen, folks, Paul writes, he writes in the book of Corinthians, and he says this. He says, we all with unveiled faces, by beholding the glory of Jesus Christ, are being transformed from one degree of glory unto the next. Did you catch that? Just by looking at Jesus Christ, you and I are changed from one degree of glory unto the next. So that is my task. That is my job here this morning to so present before you Jesus Christ, to so placard him before you, to place him on a banner and hide behind him that you see Jesus and you see him alone. And by seeing him, will be changed. Would you pray with me this morning as we open up God's word? Lord, we need you. There's not a moment in any day where we can claim self-sufficiency. At our best, We need you at our worst, we need you. When we've been victorious over sin, we need you. When we have failed and sinned, we need you. So in this moment, as we have gathered to hear from you, O Lord Jesus, may you do do what you have done since the beginning. May you be glorious. May you be gracious. May you be kind to your people. We pray pray these things in the only name in which we can pray them. That is the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, I have the privilege of of joining in on this series that's been running uh, for the past three weeks. Uh, Our brother Tyler opened up from 30,000 feet, and he he showed us what it looks like to be a gospel city, to be a city that is set on a hill. Uh, And then our our brother Micah came in and zoomed in just a little closer, and and he examined what it looks like to be a gospel community. And then my brother Ben last week zoomed in just a little further, and he asked the question, what does it look like to have a gospel home. Now we're going to sort of this week take a a street level view and we're going to examine what it means to be gospel citizens. What does it mean to live sent? And as we talk about living sent, what, what it means is that we are not hoarders of the gospel. It is too good for that. But we go out to our neighborhoods, to our families, to the four walls of our own house, and we present Jesus Christ. As believers, we are beggars simply telling other beggars where to find bread. And that is Jesus Christ. 
So as we examine this this morning, our text will be Acts chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 34. Allow me to read that text for us this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out right away. When the owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in on attack against them and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes ordered them to be beaten with rods after they had severely flogged them, threw them in jail, ordered the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up, saw the doors of the prison standing wide open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, What must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household the reading of God's holy word. Now, as we we talk about living sent, we cannot talk about being sent or living sent without talking about the sender. We are not sent ones without a sender. For instance, if I were to come up to you with a package in my hand and say, hey, brother or sister, this package just came for you. One of the first questions you would ask is, well, who is it from? Who is this package sent by? Because the the sender tells you a lot about what the package is going to contain, does it not? If I were to say, hey, this package is from Amazon, you would be like, yes, something else I didn't need that came in two days. (laughs) The sender tells you a lot about what the package is going to contain. If I were to say, hey, this is from your significant other, maybe a spouse, and they went through all the trouble of sending something in the mail, you might rightfully assume maybe it's a, a nice poem or sweet nothings, or if it's Valentine's Day, overpriced chocolate. <laughs> the sender tells you a lot about what the package contains. 
Again, the, the one who sent us tells us, not only us, but the recipient, that we have a word or a package that is not our own. It is from someone else. And the one whom it is from is the Lord of all creation. That's right, brothers and sisters. The word of the Lord is for you. And as we are living sent, sort of the soundtrack in the back of our minds as we are telling our family and our friends and our neighbors about the good news of Jesus Christ, the soundtrack in the back of our minds is that wonderful song by Mr. Babcock. This is my father's world. Let me never forget. So as we're living sent, that song tells us then that everywhere we go, every place we find ourselves, we have home field advantage. There is not a place on planet Earth that the Lord does not have claim, that he does not have stake. Everywhere we plant our foot, we can say this is God's territory. Again, as we're talking about living sent, we have to immediately and repeatedly answer the question of who sent us? Who was it that sent you? And the one that sent us is the same one who sent Jesus Christ into the world. Jesus Christ is the ultimate sent one. We are sent because he was sent. John 3.16, whether you've been in church 20 years or whether you've been in church five minutes, I'm sure you've come across John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But saints, the verse doesn't, it doesn't stop there, it goes on to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Who sent us? It is the very Lord of creation. So as we're living sin and as we're carrying this package to our family and friends and they ask us, well, Stephen, who sent you? We say, hey, the God who owns everything sent me. Well, what does, he, what does he have to say? What does the package contain? And we say without batting an eye that Jesus Christ loves sinners. Jesus Christ loves broken people, that he saves people from every sin they have ever committed or will ever commit. So as we examine this more fully, we're gonna plan ourselves in Acts chapter 16. And as we look at Acts chapter 17, uh, 16, I have seven observations for you this morning. You're like, dang, seven? Yeah, seven, seven observations for you this morning. We're, we're only gonna be here 90 minutes, so it's okay, I'll, I'll hurry through it. First observation is this, what does it mean to live sent? Living sent means rearranging our priorities. Second observation in Acts 16 is living sent means rearranging our warfare. Third observation, living sent means rearranging our comfort. Living sent means rearranging our reactions. Living sent means rearranging our freedom. Living sent means rearranging our gospel message. And lastly, living sent means rearranging our fellowship. 
Any note takers in the room? Raise your hand, don't be scared. Look, saints, look at these sanctified people in the room. I'm gonna go over these points again, so if you happen to miss them, I'm gonna cover them again as we go through the sermon this morning. First observation, living sent means rearranging our priorities. Look at Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. And as she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed, turning to the spirit. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And immediately the spirit came out. Did you catch that? In 16 through 18, as they were on their way to prayer, All of this glorious stuff happened. Two observations about them being on their way to prayer. Now, I said two observations under the first observation. Really, this sermon has like 45 points to it, but I didn't want to scare you and say we have 45 points, so I'm gonna just hide them and subtly wrap them into the text. Two observations about on their way to prayer. The first is this. God moves in the mundane. God moves in the mundane. Paul and Silas were simply going to do what they typically did. This was a set time of prayer. It was on their schedule. You read the book of Acts and you come away thinking, man, this is a praying people because it is. And in the mundane, in the everydayness of their Christian life, God is going to change the life of this slave girl forever. Why? Because Christians were simply doing what Christians were supposed to do. I have a mentor of mine that gives this definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness is being where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to be doing. Isn't that simple? So maybe as we talk about God moving in the mundane, maybe God doesn't want all of us to quit our jobs, leave our home state and home city, and go to the foreign mission field. Maybe God wants us to be faithful on our jobs for 30 years, simply being a light in a dark place. Because I can say this with certainty, brothers and sisters, as I look at the panoramic view of Scripture, I can say this with absolute certainty. The brother or sister who goes to work or deals with their kids every single day, goes to work, punches a clock, comes home, goes to work, punches a clock, comes home, goes to work, punches a clock, comes home. That brother or sister who does that, and in the midst of all that mundaneness, shares the gospel with their coworkers? Or the mom who stays home with their children, changing boo-boo diapers. That's the word we use in my household, boo-boo. I don't know where we got it from, it's just <laughs> boo-boo. Dealing with the temper tantrums. Dealing with the kid who one day loves grapes and then the next day hates grapes. <laughs> and in the midst of that mundaneness, in the midst of that everydayness, reads the scripture of God to their children? I can say this with absolute certainty that those two individuals that I just described are just as sent and just as useful to the kingdom of God as the foreign missionary. 
Why? Because God moves in the mundane. Another observation about the slave girl interrupting Paul and Silas, the, the one who had the audacity to interrupt Paul and Silas on their way to prayer. Don't you hate it when you're interrupted, when you're going to do something spiritual? Like, Lord, I, I, I hate it when I'm interrupted and somebody interrupts me on my way to do something spiritual interrupted by a person who needs to know Jesus. I, I hate that. <laughs> Saints, every distraction isn't a distraction. Some distractions are, are molded by the very hand of God to rearrange our priorities. Because if everything funnels through the sovereignty of God, then we have to even ask of our distractions, Lord, what are you doing? I kid you not, I was writing this sermon at this very point, my youngest, who's one years old, he comes up to me and he doesn't speak well. I don't know, he needs to learn English. He doesn't speak well, he comes up to me and he holds his arms up to me and he wants me to pick him up. And I'm like, no, nah, Simeon, I can't deal with you right now. I'm trying to write this sermon. But what if, what if God wants to, in a distraction, keep us from getting more in order that we might use what we already have? What if when you're interrupted during your morning devotional by your spouse or your kid or your neighbor who needs to know who Jesus Christ is, maybe in that moment, God has so molded that distraction to stop you from learning more in order that you might apply what you already know. What if Paul and Silas said to the slave girl, you know what, we can't deal with you right now. We're on our way to prayer and we're gonna ask God that he might bring us somebody to share the gospel with. <laughs> Can you imagine? Observation two, living sent means rearranging our warfare. Did you catch that in verse 16? That this young slave girl had a spirit in her? It is the grace of God in this account that he will give us the background story on this slave girl. She had a spirit. In other words, she was possessed. In other words, Paul and Silas are getting ready to engage in spiritual warfare. And let me say this clearly as well. Every time we share the good news of Jesus Christ, Every time we present the love of Jesus Christ to someone who doesn't know him, you and I are engaging in spiritual warfare. The Bible is clear. Those who don't know Jesus are under the rule of the adversary like all of us once were. Ephesians 2, 2 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, in which we all once lived. When we present the gospel to someone who is under the control of the adversary, we go up to that person and the message that is communicated to the adversary is, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. This is why Paul and Silas said to the Spirit, come out in the name of Jesus. 
Living sin means that we understand that gospel proclamation is spiritual warfare. And since it is spiritual warfare, the gospel message has to be Jesus, Jesus, and only Jesus. Satan and his demons don't tremble at our nuanced testimonies. Satan and his demons don't tremble at the success of our families or the success of our kids. Satan and his demons don't even tremble at the success of our churches, but they do tremble at the name of Jesus Christ. They do tremble at the cross of Calvary because at the cross of Calvary, Satan realizes I've been defeated. At the cross of Calvary, Satan is a toothless lion. So we rearrange our warfare. Next observation. Living sin means rearranging our comfort. You read verses 19 through 24, and you read about Paul and Silas's public humiliation and beating that is bookended by these two acts of freedom. The slave girl and the jailer whom we're gonna to get to. In other words, this, this beating and public humiliation was brought about by the freeing of this slave girl. This, this account is, is very similar to the one that's mentioned over in Mark chapter 5. I don't know if you remember that account, but Jesus comes into town and he meets this demon-possessed man who was of great danger to both himself and everyone around him. And then Jesus frees this man and he sends a spirit into this great horde of pigs and the pigs run off the cliff. And then all the townspeople come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, don't you know how good that bacon was? <laughs> that's what I would have thought. And they run Jesus out of town, right? In, in both cases here, the one in Mark and the one here in Acts, the point is that larger monetary interest outweighed concern for the person who was created in the image of God. So Luke makes this point over and over again in the books of, uh, book of Acts that material possessions, brothers and sisters, have the ability to distort our perception of things. And oftentimes Christians are caught in the middle because we know or we, we really should know that money or material possessions should never outweigh, take precedent over, come before a person that is created in the image of God. You take that view, along with the view that we're engaged in spiritual warfare when we share the gospel, and living sin means that oftentimes our comfort is at stake. You read about it with Paul and Silas. They were stripped, they were beaten, and they were placed in the inner prison. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on the, the sort of the means of their humiliation or their, or their beating because oftentimes in our own lives, our persecution is oftentimes nuanced. But what shines so clearly in this text is how they responded to this humiliation, how they responded to this beating, how they responded to this persecution. That's what shines so gloriously as we're living sent is our reaction when we're humiliated for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So living sent means rearranging our reactions. Did you notice the transition or lack thereof in verse 25? Six long verses 
are spent on showing how Silas and, and Paul were publicly humiliated and beaten and stripped. Then verse 25 jumps out at the page at us. Paul and Silas were stripped of all their clothes, beaten, humiliated, as it were, in Times Square. Then the very next verse, they are singing and praying to God. There's no conjunction. There's no transition sentence. There's no long introduction. They're beaten. The very next thing we read is that they're praising God. Because I think what Paul and Silas realized in this moment is something that we all have to realize on a daily basis, that our feet may be chained, but our praises are never chained. This is what Paul says, the gospel might be bound, or you might be bound, but the gospel is never bound. My hands are bound, but my tongue is free to praise my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because in this moment, they realized that all things must work together for the good, for those who are called according to the purposes of Jesus Christ. Living sin means that they are beaten and prodded because of Jesus Christ, but when they are pricked, they bleed the gospel. Like a sponge that soaks up the grace of Jesus Christ, when it is wrong, it drips praises to God. And in this case, the one who was called according to the purposes of God is the jailer. The great African church father Tertullian said this, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when our hearts are in heaven. This is our reaction to trials and tribulations and if it is not as oftentimes it is not, our prayer is Lord, make it so, make it so. Next observation, living sent means rearranging our freedom. You will see that in verses 26 through 28. You read verse 26 to 28, great earthquake comes, shakes everything up, everybody's set free. Now, gotta be honest, if this was me, my mouth would have been full of I told you so's. Now I told y'all y'all shouldn't be messing with God. Now look what he done, he done came in, broke the prison wide open and now I'm free. Prisoners, it's been nice knowing you, I'll holler at you, see you on the other side. Jailer, you deserve everything that's coming your way, brother. <laughs> no, but here, Paul cries out when he sees the jailer ready to harm himself. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Paul's concern for this soul superseded his own safety and comfort. Living sin means, brothers and sisters, that sometimes our freedom is granted for the freedom of somebody else. To put it another way, what if God wants to free us from our persecution, but not from our persecutor? What if that's the case? What if the Lord brought you into that trial or tribulation that you may be facing or will facing? What if he brought you into that molded it for your own life so that the one by whose hand that very persecution came may come to know the God that they are persecuting and use you to that end. What if that friend or family member 
that envies you, is jealous of you because of the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ, because that freedom has brought into question their entire worldview and their entire identity, and they are a few moments away from harming themselves. What if then, at that very moment, you bust into their lives and say, don't harm yourself. I'm here for you. I'm here. Living sin. It's like, Lord, save me from maybe this trial or tribulation. But Lord, please save the one by whose hand this trial or tribulation came. Next point. Living sin means rearranging our gospel. And you notice on the screen that our is in quotation marks. It's not rearranging the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, we never want to do that. But we do at times want to rearrange our gospel. Notice what happens here in verse 29 through 32. Notice how Paul and Silas responded to the question, what must I do to be saved? Did you see how they responded there? They said to the jailer, you know, jailer, you you really ought to stop beating people for no reason. Jailer, you, you want to be saved? You know, you remember that time that you beat us and put us in chains for no reason? I think in order to be saved, you have to apologize for that first. You know, Jailer, in order to be saved, you have to change careers because the career path you're on, brother, it doesn't have a future. That's not what they said. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Brothers and sisters, I I think that oftentimes we don't live sent as we should because we have complicated the message of Jesus Christ. I think we have inversed discipleship and the gospel presentation. I think we want people who don't know Jesus to live as if they know Jesus before coming to know who Jesus Christ is. But the good news about the good news is that we can't do anything to earn it. If we say to the jailer, jailer, you got to do something first, that is works salvation. We don't want to inverse discipleship. But once Jesus comes and he changes a person's life and he makes them new, then we want to start seeing those signs and that fruit of regeneration or that gospel change. But the reason why we stand here and we can proclaim the good news is that because it is by grace and it is by grace alone. Can you imagine if they said that to the jailer? Jailer, you have to do something first before you get to know who Jesus Christ is. Can you imagine how that would have turned their whole message on its head? But no, but they said to the jailer, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is our message to those whom we speak. They proclaimed to the jailer, we know that five minutes ago you were beating us humiliating us, putting our feet in chains. We know that just a moment ago, you were rebelling against the Lord and against his servants. But now, since you have come to know who Jesus is, all of that has changed. This is the message we communicate to our friends and families and coworkers and sons and daughters and mothers and fathers that we know you might be involved at this very moment in a sin that brings you so much guilt and shame. But Jesus is able to save. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We have a simple message. It is not simplistic. 
But the gospel message of Jesus Christ is simple. Believe in him, Paul and Silas says, and you will be saved. Last observation. Living sent means rearranging our fellowship. You see that in verse 33 and 34. Here now, and here now in verse 33 and 34, we have the implications of the gospel. We have what it means or what it looks like when Jesus changes a person's heart and life. The Bible says in verse 33 and 34, these last two verses are so glorious. In that same hour, in that same hour, he took those two men whom he had just imprisoned and he washed their wounds. Let me ask you this question this morning. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is able to change people? Because I think oftentimes, even if I, as I confess, I don't really believe the gospel message that I present. Oftentimes, as I see a soul that has just been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, I start thinking things like, is it, are they really changed? You know, once a liar, always a liar. Once a cheater, always a cheater. But this text jumps out at the page at us and says that when Jesus wants to save someone, it doesn't take him much time at all. In that same hour, he took them, the ones whom he had just beaten and imprisoned, and he washed their wounds. Living sent means rearranging our fellowship. The last verse says they shared a meal together and they rejoiced together. They went from enemies to friends because of Jesus Christ. They went from rivals to brothers because of Jesus Christ. Living sent means that the dividing wall between us and God has been torn down, but you know what it also means? That the dividing wall between one another has been torn down. This is what the jailer presents to us, that the gospel brings this twofold reconciliation. We love God and now we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jailer's like, hey, Paul and Silas, you just shared a meal with me. You, you saved, you, you presented the gospel that saved my soul. Now come, come, come share a meal with me. The jailer's like, hey, Paul and Silas, because of you, I now have a seat in glory. Now would you come have a seat at my table? Can you imagine, as we use our spiritual imaginations this morning, can you imagine if Paul and Silas had rejected the jailer's request to share a meal together? What if Paul and Silas were like, you know, hey, jailer, you know what? We're sort of like in and out evangelists. Like, we witness and then we leave. We don't really want to participate with everything you have going on. You know, jailer, we still have our inner circle and you're not really part of that inner circle. So hey, glad you know who Jesus Christ is. We'll talk to you later on. Brothers and sisters, if we can share the gospel with someone but can't share a meal with them, I think we need a fresh dose of the gospel that we're presenting. 
If we can witness to them, whoever them is, but we can't be hospitable to them, then I think we need a fresh dose of the gospel that we're presenting. Because what the jailer represents is that that wall is instantly torn down. Why? Because of the grace of Jesus Christ. I would rather have a stuttering gospel message that is filled with grace than an eloquent message that is works salvation. And this is what the jailer represents. They come and they present to him, Jesus Christ, believe in him and you will be saved. And in that same hour, they became family. Living sent means that we're simply beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Living sent means we're like the woman at the well, like, hey, come meet a man who has told me everything about myself and he loves me. Let me introduce you to him. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the savior of the world. There's a song I knew growing up. I used to hear it all the time. I still sing it from time to time and my wife was like, that sounds too old school. I'm not singing that song. But the lyrics of the song simply go, I'm, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. We live sent, but we realize it's going to take some rearranging. And so we cry out, rearrange us, oh Lord. Would you pray with me? We give you glory, Lord, because you're a God who saves. We give you glory, O Lord, because you save us as we are, but you don't keep us there. We get rid of all boasting, all pride, and now we rest solely in Jesus Christ. May we take this message and share it, O Lord, with those whom you have sent us with. We pray it in Christ's name.